Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the College Football Bowl Heading Preview Part 2. We're going to cover games going from BYU, Hawaii, and the Hawaii Bowl on Tuesday through the afternoon games on Friday. As always, we'll have an episode that we record on Thursday nights. We're going to talk college football playoff the entire weekend. Uh, and you know, we'll also talk the Friday night games. There's some things that could potentially change. We want to hold off as long as possible for as much updated info as we can get for those. So we'll cover the night games on Friday, Friday night lights, as we always do on Thursday. We'll get to the Friday afternoon games on this podcast. Uh, joining me as always is Colin Wilson. Uh, what's going on, Colin? Good to be in the heart of bowl season. Uh, I don't think you can ask for much you know, more than – Miami going to Louisiana to play Louisiana Tech. And the, the Hawaii Bowl being back on Christmas Eve is what America is all about. I just cannot believe that we had to go like a Christmas and a Christmas Eve without a bowl last year. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? Pay attention to my family? I mean, let me just shout out to all the single parents out there. Years you don't have your kids sucks. You have nothing to do. There's an ass load of presents under the tree for a bunch of kids that you love, but you can't see because you're divorced. You have to have a bowl game on TV during Christmas Eve and Christmas. Give us some football, and thank God the Hawaii Bowl is back. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. I mean, unfortunately, we do not have any Christmas Day bowl games. It's always an NBA day, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't care about the NBA. But for me, <laughs> in Hawaii on Christmas Eve, what Christmas is all about to me is the Diamond Head Classic, baby. Uh, the championship game in that college basketball tournament is on Christmas. It's usually, I think, like four in the afternoon. I'm always just hiding somewhere. When I remember when I was younger, I'm going to be just at my house on Christmas this year, but just hiding somewhere in the house in high school with money on that meaningless college basketball game. Uh, usually back in Hawaii is a dog in that spot if they get to the championship. A lot of Hawaii memories around Christmas. So let's start there. Christmas Eve. You know this game is going to be so heavily bet. The problem for me is, and we're, we're speaking of Hawaii, BYU, you know, this is this line sitting right around, uh, is it sitting at two still? One and a half out at Circa, two at some of the other books. But, I mean, this has been one of the most stagnant lines in the market. Over-under has, has risen a couple points from 62 to 64. Uh, this game will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Now, one of the things that I look at is – you know, these teams, the, the BYU pass defense, they don't really let up a lot of explosive plays. They play, you know, a lot of guys back. You saw that when they played USC. They drop a lot of guys back. They don't let up much behind them, but you can efficiently pass on them. The Hawaii pass offense is not explosive at all. 114th in pass explosiveness, but they can efficiently, no matter who the quarterback is, McDonald or Cordero, they can efficiently move the ball down the field. They're eighth in rushing success rate, 12th in passing success rate. You know, this BYU defense is not the most efficient defense. It doesn't give up big plays, but other than that, it doesn't do much. 123rd in sack rate. I think Hawaii can have some success moving the ball. And then when BYU is on offense, you know, it, the offense isn't great and it's not explosive. When you think BYU, just think not explosive. 
right? They don't give up any explosive plays on defense, and they have no explosiveness on offense. I think they're outside the top 100 uh, in rushing and passing explosiveness. You know, but it's a fairly efficient offense that can move the ball uh, against bad defenses, and that's what you'll get here. A horrible Hawaii defense. 111th in rushing success rate. Yeah, 84th in passing success rate, a little better, but 116th in rush explosiveness. They also don't give up big plays in the passing game. But BYU should efficiently move the ball. They should dominate the line of scrimmage. And, you know, so I think both offenses here should move the ball. Now, Hawaii doesn't move that fast, which is something to keep in mind. People think you always mention this as well because they're the run and shoot, because they throw it a lot, but they're 85th in seconds per play. BYU isn't fast as well um from a special teams perspective neither special teams unit is great um but you know so i'm conflicted i wanted to lean over because i do think that both of these teams can move the ball consistently throughout this game but the pace i don't know if is necessarily going to be there and you won't see that many explosive plays so what do you see here you mentioned an over and my mind immediately had a flashback to that damn Mountain West Conference championship game where Hawaii had it down to the one yard line. Boise jumped off sides and the ref somehow didn't see it. So I'm interested to see who the, the zebra crew is going to be here for uh, for this bowl game. But listen, this is a heated rivalry. Uh, you know, these two teams do not like each other. It goes back to the whack days. But Hawaii is like a fertile ground, a pipeline for the BYU program to go in and get a lot of their players. Uh, signing day just happened. I know that they had a lot of Hawaii guys on their list. Uh, it's just a place where they've gone down, had a bunch of success. And Nick Rolovich, who has a very personal connection to this rivalry. I mean, he played as Hawaii's quarterback. Uh, he threw a school record eight touchdown passes and a victory over the Cougars in 2001. So Rolovich, he knows to beat BYU is a really big deal. And he knows that he has to keep these players in state. And this is a really big part of it. So as far as motivation goes this is a rivalry game it goes back to the whack days and all these kids that are playing are going to know that now stuck's exactly right BYU excellent excellent at preventing explosive plays uh so I mean they've got that aspect going there for them I think the thing that I keep getting wrapped up into and all the money and all, all the tickets and everything that we've seen has been on BYU early on and I don't think the public has really gotten into this game yet I don't know which side you know where they're going to go with Action Network we make this game minus five and a half but probably with the home field advantage stuck in for Hawaii. Uh, even though they don't have that much of a crowd there generally, we make their home field advantage about 1.1. I think that's the reason for the point spread where it's at right now. But I just keep coming back to this factor with BYU. They've been so hurt. The roster in September played, I mean, they had some brutal games. They played Utah. They played Tennessee. You know, they played some really big games and it's taken an, uh, a toll on them as far as their health. Got down to fourth string quarterback Jared Critchlow. Oh, by the way, who put his name in the in the transfer portal there, but Zach Wilson is healthy for this game. To me, he is the true X factor. He showed up at the Potato Bowl last year, went 18 for 18, uh, had four touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, he was fantastic, and I think Zach Wilson certainly is the X factor for the BYU offense. You know, and this is a game, you know, from the advanced stats. So why should be able to move the chains? Uh, you know, their success rate is in the top 15, uh, but they're not very explosive, which plays into BYU, like we mentioned. You know, and don't, I don't expect a whole bunch of sacks on both sides. Both teams are outside the top 120 in sack rate. You know, I think the BYU is just, it's just tough to handicap them because of all their injuries. They played all four different quarterbacks. Uh, you know, and I think Zach Wilson's return and him being fully healthy is what the difference is in this game. And it's not being put into the number. I mean, uh, these guys, when they went to UMass, played everybody in the third and fourth string because they're trying to keep healthy. They did the same thing against Idaho State. I mean, we've not seen all of BYU play 
since the end of October. I mean, they, they basically took off against San Diego State too. So I, I just think it's, I don't think BYU is being properly handicapped. I think they're being handicapped on the team that they were in November when a lot of people were sitting out versus the team that they were when they were beating Tennessee or the team that they were when they were playing uh, some of the bigger names on their schedule in September. I mean, this is still a team that kept it close with Utah. Yeah, that Utah box score is really misleading. If you look yeah. at from a, uh, you know, this team that won at Tennessee, it's a team that beat USC at home. You know, if you look at from a, a strength of schedule, this team, you know, was had a significantly tougher schedule than Hawaii. And one of the things you, you mentioned that's interesting is, and, and just go, if you have some free time, you know, if you look at the rosters of BYU and Utah, you know, you have a, a bunch of these names that you can't pronounce. It's a lot of kids of Polynesian descent. You have Samoans and Tongans. Why is that? Well, they recruit Hawaii really well, but there's, you know, the both of those countries have very high LDS populations. The Church of Latter Day Saints and a you know, high percentage of Mormons. So you know, and there's actually you know a lot of uh, Samoans and Tongans in the state of Utah, which is why Utah and BYU. And if you want to look up a really beautiful campus, look up BYU Hawaii. That's a school in Hawaii, Brigham Young University. Hawaii. It's on the water in the mountains. It's a gorgeous campus. So there's a lot of connections here. Uh, for various reasons. And, you know, BYU really thrives on recruiting, just like Utah, the Polynesian uh, kids from Polynesian descent for various reasons. So I do think that they'll care here. And like you said, that there's a lot of hate. I do think because the offenses can move the ball efficiently, we should see some points. But because of the explosive plays, because of the pace, I don't know if I want to get involved in the over. Because I do believe both teams can score an answer, I think it's a great live betting game. Just get both sides and trade this game. Yeah, yeah, I think you can absolutely get both sides of this game. And I think if you're not comfortable with uh, taking BYU minus two, maybe you want to see how Zach Wilson does. If he comes out and he's on fire, then, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't – I make it five and a half. I don't think there's any hurt in taking a BYU number that's above two, taking it at four or maybe six. If Zach Wilson is on, he's the difference maker in this game. Cole McDonald has the ability to be extremely hot in the next drive, be replaced by – uh, Chad Cordero. So it's odd because Cordero is the future. Yeah. Do they play him or do they do just go back and forth as they've been doing? Do they honor McDonald and let him play more? I don't, I don't, I haven't read it's, anything that tell me what they're going to do. It seems like Rolovich is, is content to allowing Cole McDonald to play until he doesn't have it. It's like taking a pitcher out in the fifth or sixth, depending on his, his pitch count. It's just, it's just once Cole McDonald doesn't have it, he, he'll slap in Cordero immediately. And for the last few games that I've been watching Hawaii, it seems like Cole McDonald doesn't ever come back in. Like once he's out, he's done. Uh, you know, Cordero definitely doesn't have the skill set to be as explosive and as impressive as Cole McDonald, but he also has the ability not to be uh, to throw as many ints and be as careless with with running the offense. So uh, it, it's. But the thing is, is I don't I don't really make one quarterback better than the other. I just think. Hawaii's ability to put points up on the board faster isn't isn't there with Cordero. They're different because Cordero is safer, more efficient, whereas McDonald is riskier and will hit bigger throws, but also turn the ball over on some throws that you say, well, why did you throw that? So, yeah, I think overall they bring different pros and cons to the table, but I think they rate about similar, uh, pretty similarly. All right, so let's move on to nothing on Christmas Day. But we will have basketball, college basketball in Hawaii. Our NBA team, which is best in the business, they'll have tons of stuff on the NBA slate on Christmas. I think it's a Celtics, Raptors, Bucks, Sixers, Rockets, Warriors. Get the Warriors. Boot them out. Can't they switch these? They're this garbage team on national TV all the time. That's a 5 o'clock game, the Warriors. 
Then Clippers Lakers, that's the big one at eight o'clock. I'll even tune in for some of that. No football on a Wednesday night. And then Pelicans Nuggets. Make sure you check out all of our content for that. Uh, but we'll have to take a break from college football on Christmas Day. All right, we will get right back after it the day after Christmas with two bowl games on Thursday, December 26th. We'll start in the afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern in Shreveport in the Independence Bowl. Really interesting bowl game between Louisiana Tech and Miami. And, you know, you might say, how Louisiana Tech and Miami, why is that interesting? Well, to me, it's really interesting because of the line and figuring out this is a game where you want to figure out the motivation. I've been so high on Miami all year, but they're a team that could just shit the bed at any, on any given night, week. If they don't show up, if they turn the ball over, they can beat themselves. I make this line 14. 14. I've told you all year I've been I've had Miami's a top 25, top 30 team. And I've tried to adjust La Tech because La Tech is tough because they play with other star players. So I try to throw a lot of that out at the end of the year for those couple games. But I still make it right around 14. But Miami is sitting here at six and six. They could play with anyone in the country. They also can lose to anybody in the country. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you have to figure out in this game, because this line has come down from ten and a half to six. And I can tell you. <laughs> When I'm looking at this game, I make it 14. This should be a no-brainer play at six, and I may still play it at six. When I look at this game, there's a lot to like on the matchup side of the Miami defense. You know, they give up a, a bunch of explosive pass, explosive pass and, and rush. They give up big plays. But that's not Louisiana Tech's offense. Other than that, the Miami front seven should dominate. Uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, Miami's offense is ugly. Um, and, you know, it makes me – I'm starting to – to feel the under here a little bit. But um, th- what I'm trying to figure out and why I just didn't auto-bomb Miami is do they care at all about this game after how they ended the season? Uh, I mean, this is a team that, you know, had lofty expectations, had really high – they had a bunch of highs and lows, but they just closed the year out. Losing to FIU as three touchdown favorites and then losing to Duke as 10-point favorites at, at Duke. And now they play Louisiana Tech on the day after Christmas in the Independence Bowl. You know, and by the way, with that under, Miami plays really slow. La Tech is about average in pace, and uh, neither team has great special teams. But does Miami care? That's what I keep trying to figure out. What do you see here? It's kind of stagnant on 49.50. There has been a lot of – the bigger money has all been on the under because I think that they're kind of seeing what you and I are seeing. And by the way, when I mention the money – the, the, the early money on bowl games are people that pay attention to this stuff and do this, you know, professionally or do this semi-professionally. Uh, so when you see early money on a team and bowl games, it's because people are trying to take smart people who usually are really high in Intel are trying to take a position. They'll come back and reassess later on. So when I say that money is, you know, at this aspect, this early in the game, that means it's probably a pretty sharp idea, you know, the, trying to take a position. And, and I would definitely want to be above 49 uh, when it comes to totals and if I'm taking an under. Uh, and that's where it's at right now. And but the problem is, is I want the first half under, but there's no first half lines out right now. I would like a 24. We'll see what happens when those numbers keep coming out. But I completely agree with you. This is the first bowl game after Christmas. So what that means is, is the players have to be in Shreveport on Christmas. The families have to be in Shreveport on Christmas. The coaches, everybody's got to be there. You know who doesn't have to be in Shreveport on Christmas? the Louisiana tech players, because it's just like an hour or so down the road. I mean, they can spend time with their family and still be at the stadium the morning of the game. And so it's a huge disadvantage from that perspective. Say what we want about Miami. Their defense is fantastic. 
one of the best in the nation, ninth in Havoc, fourth in Line Yards, 10th in Power Success, fifth in Sack Rate, 14th against the yeah. Rush. You know, everything that you could say, this, this, this Miami defense is fantastic, and it's been the backbone of this team. It's the offensive line, and it's the inconsistency of Jaron Williams and the inconsistency of Nikosi Perry. That's, and Manny Diaz hired the wrong offensive coordinator. I talked about it in August. I don't like Dan Enos. He's never succeeded anywhere I've ever seen. And now here we are losing to FIU. We had a, a subpar year, especially offensively. Did you think things were going to get better with Dan Enos? Offensively, I don't think anything – I don't expect anything to be remedied for Miami in this game. I think Jaron Williams is actually very talented and can be a good quarterback. But who's, who's coaching him? Who's making him better? Who's overseeing his growth? Uh, obviously, Nikosi Perry's growth has, has not been there this year. So uh, that's a problem. Now, as Stuck said, the number, outrageous. It's outrageous. I make it 12. SP Plus makes it 12.9. Stuck makes it 14. This number is completely outrageous. Factor in home field, whatever it is, because I mean, it's not actually on their campus, but if you want to factor in some sort of, I don't want to be in this bowl in Louisiana the day after Christmas, should the number really be six? I mean, talent- how this cross seven? That's what I can't figure out. Like I, I could see it. It just crossed seven so easily. Like even if it, it got to eight, I'm like, that's still too low, but it's, you know, it didn't cross the seven, but blew by the seven and uh, is just sitting at six. Well, what do we do as investors? I'd say gamblers or investors in the sports market. When do we say Bitcoin's down to 4,000, it's time to hop in, even though I'm not a fan of Bitcoin and I don't think it's something long-term that's going to be successful. At what number do I buy in? I mean, this is a market, people. And Miami's at six. Are you kidding me? Now, I know Miami's just one and eight in their last nine bowl games, and none of those were against a group of five. Their bowl game record's been atrocious. I'm not a believer in Dan Enos. Not a believer in Manny Diaz, although he can coach defense. But you lost to FIU. If they beat FIU, then I can see them sleepwalking in here. But the spotlight's on them. You lost to Duke. You lost to FIU. You take a loss here. Is it a fireable offense in Manny Diaz's first year? Did they make a mistake? Does he come in on the hottest of hot seats next year? Arkansas and a couple other programs have proved two years is enough for me to fire you. So is Manny Diaz a one and done? I think I'm going to be on Miami. I think, you know, let me just put it all out. I think I'm going to be on Miami. I think I'm going to be on them at six. The number's outrageous. The talent gap between these two teams is indescribable. I'm worried about Jaron Williams throwing against a Mick Robertson. And Mick Robertson is a uh, corner for La Tech that's going to play at the next level. He's going to be something that you hear in the NFL a lot. This is a whole, can you stomach it? Can you identify it? Uh, uh, is the market number right? I think you're going to know really fast once this game starts whether we made a huge mistake or whether we made the right move. And for me, like I said, the big investment that I want, first half under, it's first game after Christmas. Uh, I don't see a lot of offense coming out of Miami. I think Miami's defense is good enough to shut down uh, Skip Holtz to start off. Uh, but as far as the side goes, you know, we talked about naming off what we took in, in uh, confidence pools. Uh, I took uh, Miami with a confidence rating of 19, but you know, I think I'm going to end up being a buyer with you. I mean, I don't know if we wait for comeback up to seven. I don't think it's going to go any further than six. Uh, but for me, first half under, and I'm looking to play Miami. One, one area that the, Miami really struggled in last year was punting. They're one of the worst punting teams I've ever seen. I think they were like worse in the nation in, in punt efficiency. But they're top 25 in punting and punt return efficiency this year. La Tech, 123rd in punting efficiency and 112th in punt return efficiency. So 
And they also struggle in kickoffs and kickoff coverage. So if Miami could also win the field position here. Uh, Louisiana Tech's defense, they don't get a ton of pressure, uh, but it's a solid defense. And uh, one of the main focuses of their defense coming into this year was not giving up explosive plays, which has been a problem in years past, this explosiveness. And that's where Miami gets their offense, right? They're not an efficient offense. They can't run the ball. Their offensive line struggles. Uh, so they, they're top 20 in pass explosiveness offense, though. So that's what Louisiana Tech and their 3-3-5 with Robertson, who was real short, so he'll probably play slot. He's quick and short, but he's a really good corner in college level, but he'll play probably play slot at the next level. So La Tech, their defense does match up pretty well here, although they don't get a ton of pressure, uh, which I think is another reason to back the under here. And something else to keep in mind, if, you know, I think I might have to buy Miami at this price, but Louisiana Tech is probably a – you know, I would never do this because like you could middle yourself. But if you hate Miami and you like Louisiana Tech, like it's at six, bet, bet the money line. If Louisiana Tech is up like 13 at the half, bet Louisiana Tech second half if you don't have Miami or anything. Because if Miami comes out and doesn't look interested and La Tech does and is up, Miami should fold it like a cheap 10 in the second half here. If they're, I don't see this team, you know, coming out with an expired effort coming to that back from 14 and a half. It's either they show up or they don't. Would you agree? Yeah. And I, I think if you have live, I hate to just, I hate to punt to live, you know, when you and I cut a podcast, people want information and they want picks and especially when they're doing pool type stuff and they want to pick. So I will tell you from a pregame, I'm in a pool perspective. You got to back Miami here. The number's ridiculously crazy. Uh, I would want to see, a drive or two, and then place my bet live. But you're you're right. From but but then the problem with the risk that is that because we think the line is so low, and we think that if Miami shows up, they'll cover. So that if Miami gets the ball and then goes down and scores, good night, and then you're never getting that line again. So I don't um, think Miami's offensively capable of doing that to anybody, though. I know. I'm just saying that's the risk you take, and then lower limits are just just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah. But we'll have a yeah. comprehensive preview. I mean, we have uh, some time before um, we're recording this. You know, before the weekend. Uh, we have some time before this game. We're going to have some more digging to do for our write-up, so stay tuned there on ActionNetwork.com and ActionNet, but an interesting game. Uh, the other game on Thursday is the Quick Lane Bowl uh, between Eastern Michigan and Pitt. Pitt is a 11-point favorite the last time I checked. Uh, yeah. This over-under is sitting at 49. When I look at this game, this is another game where I'm saying, you know, the, the games around Christmas, you have a couple of these power five programs that are playing group of five teams, um, and you do have to worry about their motivation, especially as favorites. Uh, Pitt is an 11-point favorite here. And look, this Pitt defense is excellent, no matter where you look. They're a very aggressive defense. They get after the quarterback as well as any. They're fourth in sack rate. They're third in havoc. They create a ton of havoc. The Eastern Michigan offensive line is, is pretty good, and, and Glass gets rid of the ball very quickly, uh, which helps in that regard. But it's it's an offense that can't run the ball. But the Pitt defense is great against the pass. They're great everywhere. They give up a bunch of explosive pass plays because they play so aggressively. But that's not really Eastern Michigan's game. It's more of an efficient, quick passing attack. So I do think the Pitt defense matches up fairly well with Eastern Michigan. But on the other side of the ball, it's bad on bad. You know, I was looking to – I wanted to fade Eastern Michigan bad in the bowls because their defense, I think, is even worse than the numbers show. I mean, this defensive line is one of the worst I've ever seen. And you're playing against the Max. It doesn't really show as much. Uh, but it, you could see it. It was clear as day in a lot of games, even in Mac play. But I said, all right, if this team gets a power five team, they're, they're just going to move the ball at will. Because, I mean, this is a, a defense that's 120th in rushing success rate, but their defensive line just gets pushed around. 129th in line yards, 129th in stuff rate. I mean, this is not, this is not Akron or UMass. This is Eastern Michigan team in a bowl. 
mean, you look across the board, all of their defensive metrics on the defensive line and their front seven are horrible. They had to replace a ton from their defense last year, and it's been a disaster on that side of the ball. Uh, but then I look at the Pitt offense, and is, is Pitt the offense that's going to take advantage? I don't know. This is an offense that can't run the ball at all. You know, they're 88th in line yards, but they're, they're rushing success outside the top 100. Rushing explosiveness, 128. But anything on this game? Curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I'm going to get an under in on this game. I, I mean, I projected at 51. So at 49, you know, we're really kind of right there where the projection is. But the situation, I mean, you you nailed it from the perspective of Eastern Michigan's defense. It is The numbers could only get worse if we started integrating FCS teams. Uh, it's that bad. And the problem is, is Pitt can't run. So I do expect an under game. Pitt's defense, you know, we've talked about them all year. It's the reason we backed them against Central Florida. They're number three in the nation in Havoc. They're fourth in sack rate. Uh, don't expect anything out of Eastern Michigan whatsoever. And, um, you know, and offensively, Pitt's just not the kind of team that, that, that's going to run up a whole bunch of points on you. Again, this is a post-Christmas game. Let's talk about it from the perspective of, you know, I'll knock people who talk about motivation. But, but let's just take a look through Pitt's eyes real quick. Pitt at the beginning of November thought that they could win the Coastal, get their ass handed to them by Clemson, and go to the Orange Bowl. That was being read about. That was out in that was out in the beat writers. That was in the in the newspaper for people that still read newspapers. Stuck does. Pitt really thought they had a shot to go to the Orange Bowl. Once they lost and were out of the coastal race, and it was down between Virginia and Virginia Tech, they were told by the director of the Military Bowl, we would be lucky to invite Pitt. So you have to remember. We've discussed about how there's bowl tie-ins, about how UAB has to go to the New Orleans Bowl. There's just certain teams when you lose your conference championship, you get tied into a bowl. ACC is different. You get ranked on tiers, and the bowls have say about who they want to take. It's not my record was better than this person's record, so I immediately get to go to the pinstripe bowl. It's this crazy Wild West situation where you may go to military, you may go to pinstripe, you may go to belk, you may go here. But the last one on the totem pole in the ACC is this bowl, the quick lane bowl. So Pitt, who had dreams in the beginning of November of going to Orange, mid-November thought they were going to military, who had an outside chance to go for Narduzzi to go and play against his old head coach, D'Antonio, in the pinstripe bowl, ends up in the quick lane bowl the day after Christmas against a MAC team that wasn't even supposed to make a bowl. Eastern Michigan was the last team selected for a bowl. It was between them and Toledo. Someone had to get left home. Eastern Michigan should not even be in this bowl. Pitt doesn't want to be in this bowl. Uh, it serves them no recruiting purpose. Narduzzi's completely you know, disinterested in this bowl. It shows already. So from the perspective of points going up on the board, now we can tell you there's a huge talent mismatch between the two rosters. And Pitt's strength of schedule is 60th and Eastern Michigan's 123rd. But that doesn't make me think Pitt's going to come out and score a whole bunch of points. And I certainly don't think Eastern Michigan's going to try their best, but I don't think they're going to come out and score a whole bunch of points. I mean, I think this is going to be a defensive game versus offensive uh, ineptness. And I think that leads completely to an under here. As far as the side goes, I projected at 13. Eastern Michigan's probably going to have the more motivation. I don't want anything to do with the side. Uh, so I'm under all the way here. Full game fever. Catch it. Uh, yeah, I have to do a little more digging, but yeah, you make a great case. I'm looking here. I, uh, I think there's value in the under and the argument makes complete sense. So I think we joining you there uh, on Thursday. And like I said before, we will have a write-up for every single bowl game on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. All right, so let's move on to Friday. Like I said before, we will cover just the afternoon games today. We'll have a podcast that we record on Thursday night uh, that will come out on Friday. We'll talk about the Friday night games of Oak State, Texas A&M, you know, USC, Iowa, Air Force, Washington State, which I'm actually – 
uh, really excited for. Uh, we'll cover all of the cheese it bowl. It has the potential to be the opposite of the what most people know. Uh, the cheese it bowl can kind of wash its stink off from that TCU game. Stink? Uh, what are you talking about? It's the greatest bowl game people, of all time. I loved it. I love the bowl. Trust me. Tell tell me this. I, I just want to know this because you're an East Coaster, and I'm going to be out in Pacific time zone for for the cheese it bowl. That thing starts. That thing kicks at ten fifteen Eastern. I mean, is the world ready for a Washington State Air Force game that goes till 3 o'clock in the morning with 200 points in it? I mean, the, the Cheez-It Bowl is setting itself up. With their selections and the time slot that it got, this, this has the ability to be an all-timer, in my opinion. I know you'll be able to stay up. You, you always Obviously. do. But the rest of the world on the East Coast, get a nap in before the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah, that could be an exciting one. It could be uh, some Pac-12 after dark mixed in with some triple option. So we'll get to that. We'll get to, obviously, uh, the college football playoff on December 28th on that Saturday night. So I cannot wait for Thursday's episode. We'll cover the Friday night games. But we wanted to get the Friday afternoon games out on this episode just, you know, for the people that we think their lines are going to be pretty steady. There's not a lot of questions right now. I mean, things can change. could be suspensions announced or something. But we don't think that there's a lot in flux or up in the air. Uh, with either one of the two afternoon games. And, you know, some people can't listen on Friday morning. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we give them ample enough time uh, for coverage on both of those afternoon bowl games. So let's start uh, at noon at the Military Bowl in Annapolis between North Carolina and Temple. Uh, Temple is currently sitting as a four-and-a-half-point dog over under 53. Uh, tell me what you see here. Yeah, our projection is a four-and-a-half. Uh, so really it's spot on, but I'm going to make a case for North Carolina here. I mean, Mac Brown is just, he's running victory laps every day from a recruiting perspective, from getting this team to a bowl. He's got an extremely young roster. This is one of the youngest rosters in all of college football. You know, they, they haven't been to a bowl since 2016. They took a trip to El Paso and a loss to Stanford. So, so for some of the upperclassmen that have been around that long, uh, this is a really big bowl game for them. They will be heavily motivated against a Temple team uh, that is now being coached by Rod Carey, the old Temple team that we loved with Matt Rule and Jeff Collins, that's gone because now we're on to Rod Carey, who I think has covered one bowl game his entire career, and he's never won a bowl game. But then again, Te- Temple covers every game. <laughs> right. Temple covers every game, but when we get Rod Carey to bowl season, it's a different story. And we're going up against the greatest second-half quarterback of all time in Sam Howell. Uh, you know, so true freshman there, Sam Howell. This is a bridge to next season. Matt, uh, Matt Brown's going to use these as a, as, a, as a gateway to 2020. You know, there's, uh, there's some turnover on the, on the Temple roster, but this North Carolina team, they will all be completely back. Uh, it's going to put Temple's defensive back seven to a test with Sam Howell. And Temple is good. The, I mean, they're, they're seventh in passing success rate. They can slow down Sam Howell uh, for a while. Uh, and, you know, making a bowl is, is nothing new to Temple. They've been on the big stage before uh, Shreveport and some other bowls that they've been in. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of thrown out the old past records with the Owls, especially with their new head coach. Uh, I think I think Sam Howell is just going to be something that Temple hasn't seen this uh, this year before, especially their secondary, especially their wide receivers. Uh, uh, Brown and Newsom have hauled in an explosive play in almost every game. I mean, multiple explosive plays. Uh, and Temple's defense is 96 in defending the explosive pass. If you just want to go out and look at Daz Newsom or or Deami Brown. Uh, some of their highlights, it's just unbelievable how good these two wide receivers are. Brown is second in the nation and catches over 40 yards. He's had 10 total this season. Uh, Newsom ranks top 20 in all receivers in the nation and catches over 20 yards. Uh, and like I said, Tipple is not good at pass explosiveness. You know, that's something – I mean, that seems to be the reason why Central Florida is always able to get away from them in those games. You know, so even though our Action Network 
uh, projection is spot on. You know, I think a lot of people are going to take Temple's past and roll it into this and, and back them here in this spot, but not for me. Uh, this North Carolina team's on a roll. Uh, I love Sam Howe. I love the explosive passing. It's going to take advantage of Temple, and I, I'm all about the heels here. Uh, one thing to mention here is that these two teams are, from a pace perspective, play fast, pretty pretty fast. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the total? Uh, seconds per play, uh, Temple ranks 26th, uh, and, and North Carolina ranks 36th. So there's <laughs> there's not a lot uh, of letting the clock burn before uh, getting up to the ball and, and snapping the ball. From a total perspective, I've got it projected at 55, and we're looking at the number right now as we record this sitting at 53. So it seems like, you know, the under has come down from a, there was a couple of openers at 54 and 54 and a half. So it looks like it's gone down a little bit. But like we said, if Temple can't defend the explosive pass and both these teams run at a quicker pace, I won't say lightning pace because that's like top 10, but these are 26 and 36 in tempo, you know, then I, I absolutely think that it's worth a look at the over. Uh, I mean, I projected just a little bit higher. Uh, I'm worried about Temple being 85th and finishing drives. I've seen them self-destruct in their own territory too many times this season. Uh, and then I worry about Temple on defense. Uh, they're 16th in the nation in defensive finishing drives. So they're good at keeping teams from getting points up on the board. Uh, so for me, it's kind of a no play because I think the number is right. But you're right. The pace is fast. All right, let's finish things up here uh, with the Pinstripe Bowl in New York, 320 Eastern on ESPN between Michigan State and Wake Forest. Uh, Michigan State finished the season six and six. Uh, Wake Forest is eight and four. Michigan State was uh, who just so disappointing all year. You know, they did deal with uh, a lot of injuries, to be fair. Um, Wake Forest had, you know, some injuries as well, but it looks like they're going to be a little healthier for this bowl game, which I'll let you touch on. You know, one of the things that really jumped out to me, Wake Forest can't run the ball at all. You know, you can't run the ball on Michigan State with that defensive front. So it's really important that Wake Forest, you know, has Newman, has Washington, which, like I said, I'll let you touch on uh, playing in this game because they're going to have to throw it some. Uh, You can't just – without their receiving options – they wouldn't have been able to move the ball uh, against Michigan State. And then the other side of the ball, I mean, the Michigan State offense, so what can you say? It is gross across the board. There is nothing to like other than they don't give up sacks. Um, <laughs> you know, then the Wake Forest defense isn't great, but the Michigan State offense is just so ugly. And then special teams have been horrible, uh, just so bad for Michigan State. Wake Forest, and, and Michigan State plays really slow as well. On the other hand, Wake Forest really good on special teams, uh, and they play fast. Um, so it is uh, complete contrast in pace, uh, and uh, it's an interesting game here. Michigan State was around a four, four and a half point favorite over under was around forty eight and a half. That's since come down. Michigan State three and a half point favorite now, a total up to fifty. That's with some news on the Wake Forest offense side. What do you see? So I'll tell you guys because if you get in the action app, and I know I'll get a lot of questions a day of the game, they'll say. You have Michigan State minus three, and you have Wake Forest plus four and a half. How'd you do that? Why did you do that? Well, on open, I thought Jamie Newman was going to be out with this game because of a because of an injury, lower body injury, and he was questionable. The chance that he didn't play, then Michigan State should have been favored by probably six, considering what Wake Forest has behind him. Scotty Washington hasn't played in a while, uh, but it was floating around out there that he was trying to make a return for the bowl. Well, I took Michigan State minus three, knowing that there could be a comeback once those player decisions for Wake Forest on offense were made. Those decisions were made. And I went ahead and snapped up what I could on Wake Forest because, I mean, it's, it's a great offense, a great passing offense, uh, not, a good rushing, not, not a good rushing offense whatsoever. But 17th in passing success rate, that's all about Newman. 
It's all about Scotty Washington. You know, they have other injuries, a wide receiver, but they're going to be able to throw it down the field. Now, Michigan State is 50th in defensively in passing success rate. They're pretty stingy in allowing explosive plays. So, you know, they're 12th in Havoc, first in line yards. Wake Forest is going to do nothing on the ground. Nothing. They're 120th in rushing success rate offensively. They're going to be throwing from the second they hop off the train. Uh, I'm not sure which, which shuttle is it? Number four? Is it the number four subway there in New York that gets off at, at Yankee Stadium? Uh, the second they get off the subway, uh, they're going to be throwing. And, and, and I think that kind of tends to the pace and why it's kind of ticked up a little bit. I project the game at 54 and a half. So I, I think there is some value in the over now knowing that Wake Forest is going to be as much full strength as they possibly can be. Uh, with their passing game, I think they're going to be able to get something downfield on Michigan State. Michigan State offensively, I mean, there's a better chance that their defense scores points and their offense scores points. It's been dreadful. It's been bad. They're good at protecting Lewerke from getting sacked. But 117th in pass explosiveness, I mean, generally, I mean, Lewerke has a cannon. He can get it down the field, but they're just not able to hit anything. Michigan State's 115th in offensive finishing drives. Wake Forest defensively is outside the top 100 in finishing drives, and you know they allow anybody to score. So maybe that's the saving grace here. But Michigan State has just been terrible getting points up on the board, especially they haven't been able to convert, you know, when they've gotten it past the 40. Uh, you know, from a special teams perspective, Michigan State ranks 114th in SP plus special teams. Uh, Wake Forest certainly has the advantage there, ranking 36th, specifically in field goals. Wake Forest is 13th in field goal efficiency. That is to Michigan State's 88th in field goal. So on the side, I think that it's lined correctly. We make it four and a half. Uh, I think it's going to float between three, three and a half, and four up until kick. I think Wake Forest is going to be able to score points. I think that's going to make Michigan State play an increased tempo. Uh, seconds per play, Wake Forest is seventh in the nation tempo, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to get off the subway. They're going to throw downfield, and it's going to force Michigan State to do the same. Uh, I don't see a lot of long-lasting drives, offensive drives of 14 plays and a score out of Michigan State. I think they're going to have to start rifling down the field, which Lewerke is capable of doing. Haven't been able to get it off in Big Ten play against some of the defenses they face. So I like the over in this game, and I might have to hit it at 50 before it ticks up any farther. I'd love a 49. All right, so there you have it for the five bowls between uh, tomorrow and Friday afternoon. Later this week, we'll have uh, – don't forget about the voicemails, by the way. We're going to have later in the week or – the podcast after that comes out Monday, we're going to recap a bunch of the voicemails, which I'm sure will get more heated uh, and volatile as bowl season progresses, especially once the college football playoff comes up. Uh, but before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Uh, for first down, let's talk about some of the swirling rumors we're recording this early on in the weekend, so you might have some updates by the time you're hearing this. But what are you hearing in regards to LSU? You have suspensions. Uh, what is the update you're hearing as of now and the impact, the potential impact? Yeah, so word comes out about Oklahoma. Ronnie Perkins is going to be the player that uh, we don't know, you know, the, the length of the suspensions, I'm sure. I mean, if Jordan Love can play, <laughs> what kind of drug? What kind of drug test is this, right? I mean, uh, Ronnie Perkins is, uh, I think, you know, top in sacks. He was one of the biggest havoc, biggest chaos makers on the defense, especially in the Big Twelve Championship game. So it's a big loss for them in trying to disrupt what Joe Burrow is doing. I think the question needs to be asked: Can Oklahoma disrupt what Joe Burrow is doing? I don't. I don't think whether how many defensive players you have or not. I'm not sure what defense outside of maybe Ohio State, Chase Young, and maybe Clemson's defense. Who is disrupting what Joe Burrow is doing? Who's going to get to him? So you've lost one defensive player. I mean, Alex Grinch is a speed defense. They send everybody to the quarterback. 
Uh, I'm not sure it had, it should have had an effect on the point spread. It did go up to 14 uh, and then it came back down to 13, which means these players that have been named the six players, which the, the biggest of them being Ronnie Perkins on the defense wasn't really worth that one point move. And it was a good chance for everybody to get on Oklahoma at 14. Uh, I don't think our perspective of the game changes whatsoever. So if you could get 14 with Oklahoma, that's the play still. I still think 13 is too high. We've all agreed that eight and a half should be about the number. And I think once the public gets closer to this game, I think it's just going to be all LSU money. I can't see a lot of OU money coming in. But it's not Jalen Hurts. It's not CeeDee Lamb. And it's not key members on the offensive line to protect Jalen Hurts. Fair enough. Yeah, I took a piece of 14 because the news was hoping to get 14 and a half. Let's, for second down, let's talk about next week around New Year's Day because uh, I'd want to get this out there just very quick couple thoughts on key numbers. So you have, if you look at New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, you know, by the time you listen to this, it might, it may have moved, but there's going to be, it's going to be around these key numbers. You have Navy at minus two and a half, New Year's Eve, uh, Wyoming minus seven, New Year's Eve, Alabama minus seven, seven and a half, New Year's Day, Auburn minus seven, seven and a half, New Year's Day. You look across the board, you know, all of these games on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are sitting either right on or right around a key number, Utah, Texas, seven and a half. Uh, Baylor, Georgia has crossed the seven on some Georgia news. You know, I just want to get your thoughts on one or two games that you think you're, you feel good about that you think will potentially move and somewhat you should get now, or if, you know, if it crosses this, you should hit this team. Maybe just give your thoughts on one or two games for next week for those looking ahead and watching the markets. I project Alabama and Michigan at five. So even though it might get up to seven and a half, I think you can, I think you're going to be able to get Michigan at seven and a half if that's what you want to get. Uh, if you want to back Alabama, I don't see it coming down, coming coming back. So I think you might want to go ahead and scoop up to seven. I think you and I are – I mean, we're in complete disagreement about Utah and Texas and how that's going to unfold. <laughs> I think Utah minus seven is there's – a, there's a last call going on with this number. We've been at seven and a half and eight. I project this game at 10. SP Plus projects the game at 11 and a half. I, I'm not comfortable with Tom Herman dumping – almost his entire staff and demoting his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Uh, I think the number is going to go back up. Uh, I think if you want to back Texas, wait. If you want to back Utah, which I am, you're going to want to take it now at seven. We talked about Navy, how they're probably going to get a bump uh, because of what happened with Army. I make this number minus three for Kansas State. And I know that I am completely different from a Sagarin and an S&P Plus ranking. So if I'm off this much, I think Navy is going to get a bump and get up to three at certain points. Because once the public comes in and starts having their say on these games, they're going to reference back to what happened with Army. Um, you know, Kansas State, to me, has plenty of statistical advantages. They're going to be able to go through the air and take advantage of Navy, much like Notre Dame did. Um, but, you know, from the perspective of where I think the number is going to move, I think Navy's the one that's going to get it up to the three. So I think I'd wait if I wanted Kansas State. I, I think as far as the Sugar Bowl goes, I think there's a, a huge amount of thinking out there that Georgia – maybe caught again in the Sugar Bowl, not interested. And the fact they don't have the offense to pull off this big of a point spread. So I think that's why you've seen the market come down to a six and a half. But at the same time, we don't know the status of Charlie Brewer. Reports have now surfaced that Matt Rule is easily at the top of the list for the Giants. He told, uh, what? He told Dallas Morning News where I read it. He said, here's what I would need to be an NFL coach. I would need 100% complete control. That's what it'd take to get me out of Baylor. I'm not leaving Baylor. I'm Baylor through and through. And if an NFL team wants me, I have to have complete control, not just X's and O's over player personnel and everything else. So I'm not sure if it's in the cards for the New York Giants to pull that off with Matt Rule, but there's a chance for Baylor here. There's no Charlie Brewer and there's no Matt Rule. So if you like Georgia in this game, 
which I kind of do. I don't know if I'm going to money line parlay him with something else or if I'm just going to swallow the points because they still have problems hitting targets, hitting wide receivers. But there's a chance this game doesn't have Brewer or Matt Rule. So if you want to buy Georgia, I say get it now. You want to buy Baylor, I'd probably wait to see if they're going to have a coach and Charlie Brewer because I don't imagine this game's going to get below six. There you have it. Uh, before we get out of here, third down, thoughts on Monday Night Football? Look, uh, this line's getting out of hand. It's almost becoming so trendy, sharp to fade the Packers uh, because, you know, of some of their underlying metrics and turnover and their run defense and some of their explosive pass and their schedule. There's a lot of, you know, analytics, or even just to look basic yards per play. The Packers are overvalued, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But this team just comes out, they get a lead, they still have Aaron Rodgers, their defense will create some havoc, and they're just finding ways to win games. And this line, without Dalvin Cook for the Vikings, is getting out of control. If it gets to six, I'll have to look at the Packers. But I usually like this a huge game in the division uh, and for playoff seeding with my Packers future, which I'm obligated to mention uh, contractually, and I actually forgot it on the last podcast and I have to pay a fine, is, you know, the Packers, if they win out, they get a two seed and they host the Bears and Mitch Bortles next week. So this game is huge for them as well uh, and their chances set going to the Super Bowl. It's going to be tough, but I actually am look over here. Uh, I do think that the Vikings, I mean, the Packers have two tackles that can contain the Vikings edge rush, uh, which is one of their strengths uh, with uh, Griffin and Hunter. But where they, you know, and if they're not getting a ton of pressure off the edge, the Vikings corners are very vulnerable. It's the weak spot of their team. And I think Rodgers can take advantage. On the other side of the ball, Cook's not playing, but I do think the Vikings will still have some success running the ball. Uh, up the middle, which is where the Packers are really weak, particularly a linebacker. And they like to play a lot of heavy dimes, so they don't have a, you know, a heavy package in there to defend power running. And the Vikings can do that very well. But I also think without Cook, they're going to throw it more. And the Packers give up a lot of explosive passing plays. And with Thielen now presumably healthy, you know, it was an extra day of rest. He got some run last week, didn't need to play a ton. They wanted to keep him healthy, and the game was out of hand. Uh, so him and Diggs, I think, could have some success downfield. And the Vikings might throw a little more without Cook. So I think this game might be higher scoring than most think. And, you know, just keep in mind that Rodgers and in the division, Rodgers uh, just finds ways to cover. So, you know, fading him and, and as a dog, he's ridiculous against the spread. So beware if you're going to bet this line, which is starting to get a little out of hand. All right. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Leave a review. Mention Monday Bowls. And they're running for a prize that we will hand out after bowl season for a couple people that I already have from prior contests uh, that I have to notify for those. So thanks again for listening. You guys are the best. We'll be back on Friday morning with just a mega loaded episode for Friday night games, uh, the college football playoff, all the weekend games through Monday. If you hate bowl games, go listen to NPR. So thanks again for listening. Uh, We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. We're finished talking.